Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. On each podcast, we dive in a little deeper to a relevant topic in our spiritual journeys, which may or may not be connected to the message from Sunday morning. If you have a topic you'd love to hear us consider discussing or have a question or prayer request, just send a text to eccinfo to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org. And now to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us uh, for our podcast today. Uh, we have a really exciting topic, yet one of those kind of topics that's always been a little difficult to hear and maybe even to deliver. So we've got two experts in the area. Uh, we have, of course, Matt Silver, our pastor here at Experience Christian Church. Say hi, Matt. Hello. And our resident cheerleader, um, Lee Magnus, who um, we rely on to give us some sanity around the Bible um, and make sure that we're being accurate in what we teach. So we're so happy to have you with us again, Lee. How you doing? I'm doing great and glad to be back. Great. All right. So the topic today is about giving. And if you're like me and you've been in church for a while, as soon as the pastor says, okay, we're going to talk about giving, you either really have to go to the bathroom all of a sudden and have to leave, or you go to sleep, or your grocery list comes out because you really don't want to hear it. But Yet God talks about money a whole lot in his word. So I think it's probably something we need to pay attention to. Um, and so that's why we're going to dig in a little deeper and figure out why we are so uncomfortable with it and how we can get comfortable with it because God wants us to be comfortable with this resource he's provided us. Okay, so let's start. Let's first, um, gentlemen, make sure that we've got all of our terms the same because sometimes at church, when we throw around terms, we just assume everybody understands what the heck we're talking about. So let's start off with a word call, um, called stewardship. So what, what does exactly, what does stewardship mean in the context of giving? Uh, so we can start with you, Lee, and then Matt, just add on to everything. Well, growing up, I assumed that the word stewardship meant anything having to do with money, in the church. So my father was the chairman of a stewardship campaign. And I knew what that meant because, you know, at the dinner table, he would talk about how much money he needed to raise for the church for some project. But uh, I eventually figured out that the, the word steward means somebody who managed an estate for the owner. Okay. It wasn't the person who owned the estate or the business or the farm. It was the person who managed it, like a foreman in a factory or a tenant farmer, maybe on an estate. And then eventually I learned and added um, insight about the biblical concept of steward back, back in the old days. Um, same thing. A steward was a manager or a foreman who who ran an estate or a business or a factory for an owner, the added insight was that the steward was one of the owner's slaves. Hmm. A, a steward was a slave, a smart slave, uh, a slave who knew administration and, and could work well with people. 
And that slave's responsibility was to recruit, train, tend, guide, equip, etc., the other slaves to do the job that needed to be done for the master. Hmm. So stewardship uh, has that idea of, of managing what actually belongs to somebody else. That's great. Matt, you have any, that was, that was much more than I thought stewardship was. So what about you, Matt? You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting. The only term I could think of when I think steward is stewardess in terms of a host, which is, you know, making yeah. sure that passengers are comfortable and <laughs> going to come back from an airline. Uh, but yeah, stewarding is a concept that I've always appreciated It's knowing that everything I own is not my own. And similar to what Lee has just proposed, it is God's. And so my job is not to act as if it's mine, but that I'm held accountable by God. And that can be fear inducing, but it can also be anxiety relieving, knowing that the resources I have don't come from my own expertise or hard work, although I may think that's what it goes down to, but it's God providing those and God provides those things that I can manage and maintain knowing that I'll be one day accountable to him. Best illustration I've ever heard is your, your um, investment investor, whoever handles your finances, they don't own your resources. And so you give them money to steward well. And if you call them and you're like, Hey, how are we doing? they're going to give you an answer on how the investments are growing. They're not going to say, well, I had a rough week, so I took some of that money and went on vacation. <laughs> that's not going to be a good conversation. You're like, that's uh, not yours to do that with. So stewardship has always been a really cool concept in that regard for me to think mentally, like I have responsibilities to do with this. It's, it's all God's and I'm a steward of it. Yeah. And you know, the stewardship concept goes way, way back to the beginning. It's the second thing we learn about human beings as God created them in the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. First thing we learn is that we're created in the image of God, which is the most basic thing of all. The second thing we learn that it is from, from this is Genesis chapter one now, is that God gave human beings stewardship over the natural world. We are to care for this universe in God's behalf. God's the owner. We're the caretakers. We're the stewards. So this idea of stewardship and money giving, which is important, uh, actually flows out of a whole bigger concept of stewardship that we can trace right back to the first chapter of the Bible. Wow, that, that is some connection going all the way back there versus, you know, in 2021, where we're trying to figure out what the word means. Um, that's interesting because it flows right into the giving concept. So tell us a little more about how the, the concept of stewardship flows into this horrible word that nobody wants to identify and talk about, that word giving. How does that flow into that? A little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I think that example from Genesis um, that we were just talking about illustrates that in Scripture, giving is a whole life concept. It's not just about money. Um, it, 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 is, it includes money. It includes all of our resources, our homes, our possessions, but also our time, our relationships, you name it. Everything that has to do with our lives is, uh, should be considered uh, as part of our stewardship before God and therefore part of our life of giving. 
there are, if, if I can be a Greek teacher for just a minute, is there, put on my Greek. Yeah. Yeah. There are three words for life in Greek. One means our livelihood, that is the material possessions, like our salary and the stuff we buy with our income. The second one, life, means our aliveness, the, the fact that I'm a living being. Huh? Um, I have energy, I can act. But the third word that's translated life, like in Jesus laid down his life, means not his aliveness, but himself, his whole being. And so um, I, I think when we think about giving, we need to think about those three aspects of our lives, including our whole being. And it reminds me of something that Paul wrote to the Christians uh, about the Christians up in Macedonia. That's northern Greece. He was writing about them in what we call 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. And he said there, um, I was just so thrilled that they sent me a gift of money. But first, they gave themselves. And I think that's such a great recognition by Paul and something he wants to pass on to other Christians that the, the, uh, the Christian concept of giving is, is not just about material possessions. It's in the context of our whole lives. Yeah, that whole idea of you, you, you started that conversation with giving is a whole life concept. Um, so the way you explained it with the Greek, it's, it's just really, it's much more than us just writing a check and sending it in. It's really about our heart and our soul. And it's so much bigger than just thinking about our checkbooks. Yeah. But, but you do still need to think about your checkbook, Diane. Absolutely. That's yep. one of them. <laughs> yeah. As my husband, we, you know, he reminds me all the time. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. It, it's, I think sometimes we tend to listen to this topic through the resource that we have the most abundance in and kind of push back with the resource we feel the most scarcity. So those that have significant income, they might think, well, I'd rather write a check than be involved in the day-to-day. -day. Those with lots of time may say, I would much rather serve a day than to give, where the reason why God calls us for each of those areas is because we call into question where our hope and our trust and our faith come in. And we stretch when we do hard things at times, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, that brings to mind the story of the widow and the, the, the little bit of money that she gave. She's sitting, that Jesus and his, and his guys are sitting there watching people put into the poor box and, you know, the more wealthier people came in and put some money in and they were very abundant in their giving uh, because everybody could see it, first of all. But um, then this little widow, this poor little woman came and put two pennies in. Um, and Jesus said, she's going to be remembered forever for that. Um, it's almost like it's a scarcity of heart. Uh, it's a scarcity of heart when you don't give more. Um, it's just it's just such a sweet story. But yet there's so much to it, the way that you just explained it about it being the whole life concept, her whole life was one of giving, I guess. Just, just talk, talk to us more about that, Lee, before we get to another difficult, a difficult subject. Okay, yeah. Um, Jesus was sitting in a part of the temple called the Court of Women. And one of the distinctive things about that courtyard was that it had 13 copper offering containers uh, around the walls. 
And this was kind of like designated giving. Uh, one of them went to the upkeep of the temple. One of them went to the priests. One of them went to the priestly robes and refurbishing them. And some of them were for the poor of Jerusalem. Um, we don't know exactly which container she used, but we do know that when wealthy people came in, if they put a whole handful of shekels in a copper container, it would have made quite a racket, right? <laughs> and that's what, what, what Jesus is saying. Look, you can't give to show off. That, that's just counterproductive. So this rattling of coins in a copper uh, kettle uh, just won't do. The woman's coins, the word used for coin isn't penny. It's the coins were called thins. That's the literal word, thins, because there was so little metal, you could, you could almost feel your fingers if you were holding one. They were so thin. So these are just practically worthless. And yet Jesus says she's the exemplar of Christian generosity. Yeah. And uh, her story, I think, stands in real interesting contrast to the story of the rich young ruler, which we read about uh, in the Gospels. Uh, he wants to know, you know, what more to do to be a kingdom person and inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, it's pretty simple. You need to give away the barrier between yourself and me which is tending your possessions. So just, just sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come be one of my disciples. So um, to the rich young ruler, Jesus says, sell all, and he refused. Uh, the widow gave all, and Jesus says, wow, this is the example that I'm trying to teach. Yeah. Interesting, interesting contrast. Very, yeah. You know, what's interesting about the the thins was that I can remember my they I was I grew up in a Presbyterian church and they had these big plates that they that they sent around and they were like brass looking um, and they were all metal so obviously if you put dollar bills in there it didn't make any noise but if you put coins in it made noise so my mother was always so upset when my brother and I would like play basketball with our coins that she gave us because she gave us 50 cents each to put in, you know, the offering plate and we would like chuck them in <laughs> and they would let's rattle around in there and she was so embarrassed. So that reminded me of that story where they'd want to hear, want everybody to hear that they put something of substance in there. It's just really funny. Oh my. So that this, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and get into a topic that comes up in churches all the time. Um, and it's taught in different ways. Um, so from a biblical perspective, uh, Lee, if you can tell us what tithing is, why we should care <laughs> or shouldn't we care and how does it form some way of looking at what we give and don't give um, just from Old Testament, New Testament, wherever you want to go with this, because it has so many facets to it. Um, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, as I just mentioned, but I've attended three or four different other denominations in my 40 years as a, as a believer, and all of them taught something different. So if you can set us straight, that would be really helpful, I think, to all of us. Well, um, the first mention of tithing in the Old Testament is in the story of Abraham after he rescued his nephew Lot 
um, some um, armies from over in Mesopotamia, over where Iraq is now, had come over to the area of Israel and had um, kidnapped Lot and his neighbors and taken a whole bunch of plunder, loot, money, stuff, and were headed back home. And Abraham got together some of his herdsmen, actually 300 of them uh, or so, and they went and rescued his nephew Lot and took back that plunder that that the Mesopotamians had stolen. And on his way back home, he stopped and gave 10% of that plunder to God through a priest named Melchizedek. And uh, so that story is told in Genesis chapter 14. So that's where we see the concept of tithing, that is giving a tenth to God, first mentioned uh, in the Old Testament. The first real sustained teaching about tithing is also in the Old Testament, and it's found in the fifth book of the Old Testament called Deuteronomy, and it's in chapter 14. And um, so I, I commend that section to people to go back and look at if they're interested in the concept of tithing. It's Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting in verse 22. And I'll just summarize what I get out of that passage. Matt, you may want to reflect on it a little more, too, if you wish. Um, first of all, the tithe that's commanded in Deuteronomy 14 was a tithe not of money, not of coinage, but of food. In other words, it was meant to be useful and used by other people for food. So what was the tithe? It was food. When was it to be given? Well, it was to be given regularly. That first tithe was to be given once a year, every year. So when? Regularly, once a year. Third, where was it to be given? It wasn't to be given just any old where, like Abraham did. It was to be given at the tabernacle, later at the temple. In other words, it was to be given at the place where God's people gathered for worship. So that's where the tithe was to be given. Why was the tithe given? Why was there a tithe? It says very clearly to reverence the Lord, to show your worship of God. So tithing was not an act of obligation so much as it was an act of worship, praise, adoration. Um, how was the tithe to be given, according to Deuteronomy 14? As part of a feast, as part of a celebration. It, it, was, it was always meant to be in the context of a, of a communal celebration. Kind of reminds you of Paul writing in 2 Corinthians, uh, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Uh, it's to be done in the concept, in the context of a, of a celebration. And then finally, uh, who was the tithe for? Who, who did, the, did, the, did the food actually go to? Or if the food was sold for coinage, which it could be, who, who did the money go to? And we learned there that there was a first tithe and a second tithe. There were two tithes. Part of the money 
went to the Levites whose responsibility it was to keep up the tabernacle, the temple, the place of worship, and the activities of worship, kind of the church of the Old Testament. But it, they didn't call it the church. It was the temple. The second tithe went to the poor, the orphans, the widows, and immigrants. So those were the two, two things. I, I think that's a fascinating list. I think it teaches us a lot about Christian generosity. What do we give when we give? Something that other people can actually use, put yeah. to use. Um, when do we give? Well, you can give any time, of course, but regular giving, disciplined giving, seems to be a, a very productive concept. Where do we give? Well, we could send a check in at any time from anywhere uh, or you know, give online at any time, wherever we are. But there is something special about thinking that we are giving to the Lord's church, the Lord's people who are gathered to do his will. Why do we give? We give still for the same reason, not to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and not just to alleviate poverty, although there's nothing wrong with that. We give ultimately as an act of worship and adoration to God. And uh, as Paul writes, we should do it cheerfully as, as an act of celebration, um, as part of a, of, a, of a feast of praise. And then I think that first and second tithe is interesting. I know some people who say, well, I don't like the idea of giving to the institutional church. You know, I don't want to just give to support a church. I want to give to people in need. Well, uh, in Deuteronomy, in, in, in God's word, it was both. The, the tithe both went to support the people of God, the, the institution of the temple, but it also supported the neediest members of their community. And I think that's, those are some concepts that, um, that we could apply in our Christian context, even though tithing isn't directly taught uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Well, let me pause there. Matt, well, maybe you take a turn. Well, before, before you go on, I think it's interesting that they had a party when they tithed. I when mean, they, that is a concept I can't even imagine happening in any church that I've attended, but I'd love to make it that. That'd be so cool just to celebrate that we're giving. That is so cool. I'm sorry, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it was interesting. Part of what we'll hear taught a lot is the Malachi chapter three chapter about tithes and offerings and robbing God by not doing that. And that has created, I believe, rather than a sense of and, you know, actually says, test me, I'm the God, you know, I'm your God in this. And that has created a sense of obligation for lots of people because they hear that language, like you're stealing from God. <laughs> That's the person you don't want to steal from. And that creates a lot of angst towards giving. It's a have to, and can actually harden your heart towards God, where I really appreciate it. Dr. Magnus, when you explained tithing in our class, it was just this idea of, yes, Jesus mentions it. Like when he was going at it with the Pharisees, I was like, yes, you go you're so extreme and you're giving that even that your dill and your spices, you're doing 10% of it. You're, you're weighing it. And 
that concept for tithing has almost created a, let me get God off my back by just giving him one out of 10 things. And Hey, I, you know, somebody has a need, you're like, you know, I only give to church and I give 10%, 90% is mine. And what that's done for hearts is it's done some damage. You know, there are some folks that would really stretch to give and others, they have more than enough to go all around. And they're like, nope, 10% is where it's at. And so Lee, I really appreciated how you explained that in our college campus or actually on the, at, at um, Emmanuel. And you talked about a conversation you and your friend had about generosity. Okay. Yeah, we were, we were struggling with exactly what you're talking about. The tendency to think of tithing as first of all, some kind of legalism, you know, that we have to, uh, and the, the other problem with tithing is thinking of it as the goal of Christian generosity, when um, it clearly it, it's more appropriate to think of it as a, as a springboard or a launching pad, a starting point for Christian generosity. I had this wonderful friend um, when I was uh, ministering out in Idaho, and we were talking about this very subject when we were young ministers in our 20s. And uh, we agreed that tithing was kind of a, a springboard, a, a starting point, and that we, as our financial circumstances allowed, would try to increase the percentage that we gave as often as we could. And so uh, every once in a while, we would see each other, even after I moved back east, and, uh, and one of us would say, well, how are you coming with the tithing plus thing? And, and without bragging, um, we really trusted each other. One of us would say, well, I'm up to 14 and a half percent. We had our second baby last year, so we cut back from 15 percent, but at any rate. And um, so we, we kept going. And uh, I guess 20, 25 years after our initial conversation, I was talking to Steve and I said, so how are you coming with the tithing plus thing? And he said, oh, I, I think we're on a good track. We're, we're headed toward 10%. And I said, what do you mean toward 10%? I thought we agreed that's not our goal. And he said, oh no, I mean that, you know, as, as we earn more money every year and as Beth and I try to limit our needs and wants. We're looking forward to the time if we live long enough when we can live on 10% and give God 90%. Amen. Isn't Amen. that, what an attitude toward Christian generosity and, yeah. and toward tithing. Yeah. yeah. The book that we're doing, uh, Fully Devoted, mine looks more like a coloring book here. I love the quote they have standard of living versus the standard of giving. And it says life in the world is preoccupied with increasing your standard of living. Life in the kingdom of God is preoccupied with increasing your standard of giving. And uh, that reminded me of Rick Warren, his book, you know, purpose driven life. He basically won the lottery when he wrote that book, they had no idea it would take off like it would. And, you know, partly it's fun being in interactions with other other believers where they'll say something like, yeah, I played the lottery. If I win, I prayed, God, I'll give you 10%. And I'm like, you are so generous. If you win a hundred million, you'll give God 10. Wow. You are the model of Christian generosity. But Rick Warren won that, you know, he won the lottery. They had more money than they knew what to do with. And so him and his wife, they made a decision that they weren't going to change their standard of living. They were going to keep the same vehicles, keep staying in the same house, 
And when he started doing the math and seeing the checks come in, he's like, we don't need a salary from the church anymore. And then they calculated like, we can pay back all of our salary back to the church. And they just kept thinking and they're like, we're going to be reverse tithers. We're going to live on 10% and give away 90, which is just amazing. You were playing on a little music during the podcast, weren't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, okay. it's background music. Yeah. But, you know, what, a question I have for you, if we're, if we're Christian, um, we're not living under Old Testament law, if I understand your teaching. Um, so what does the New Testament tell us? What did Jesus tell us about this? Are we supposed to tithe? Did he say we're supposed to tithe? I mean, what is the new, where's the New Testament go with this? Jesus mentions... Uh, tithing on one occasion in all of his ministry. Um, and that occasion is recorded in two different places, in Matthew chapter 23 and in Luke chapter 11. But it's the very same incident, the, the same event told um, by two different gospels. And in that event, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were the very most legalistic Jews of Jesus' day. And Matt has already made reference to this. Uh, Jesus kind of shakes his head and says, you know, you guys are so good at tithing. You give a tenth of every material possession that you have, including your herb, your herbs, your spice shelf. You, you know, if, if, if you get some, um, some spices from someplace, you give a tenth of that to the Lord and burn it all up on an altar. Um, clearly, Jesus is kind of shaking his head about that kind of attitude toward tithing. But then he goes on and says, if you want to be generous, if you want to give God and other people something, don't don't give them a tenth of your garlic powder. Give them justice. Give them mercy. Give them faith. Give them love. Those are the four things he mentions there. And so that's uh, when Jesus teaches about tithing, he really doesn't give us any direct um, strong instruction about the percent that we are to give. Instead, he views tithing as part of this whole life principle of generosity in which we seek the best for other people, social justice, reflecting God's mercy, being faithful and loving toward other people. That's what Jesus teaches about tithing. It's almost like he, he's teaching us that the law gave people what they needed materially. And then when he came, he gave us what we needed spiritually. So that's what we are to give others. It's almost like this is an epiphany I just came to as you were talking. So I just feel so spiritual at this moment. <laughs> but it just seems that that is, it's a, it's a flip. So um, there is I a- think, can, I, can I chime ahead. in there one time? Absolutely. I do think- um, Jesus is well aware because he speaks so much about money of how it can just rule our hearts and how yeah. we trust in money. You know, the dollar bill says in God, we trust. And is that a true statement? Um, we really trust in our resources. We know if I go to work Monday through Friday or whatever our hours may be, uh, I only work Sundays. 
And if I just go to work on Sunday and then I have the rest of the week off, if I do that job, that's obviously me being facetious. Whatever hours we work to earn our wage, we put a lot of trust into that and that we can care for it. In fact, we'll only bother God on the big things. And in particular, 1142, when you just mentioned, uh, it just said, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of gardeners, but you neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. It's just there's this expectation that you get it. Um, Jesus, in so many terms, and Lee, you can push back on this if you see it, but I just think Jesus always reinforces so much that has happened before in the law, but really connects your heart to it, similar to what you said just now. It's, you know, in the Old Testament, it's like, don't kill anybody. Didn't kill anybody today, but did I actually love, do I love them? Do I have ill feelings towards them? And Jesus is like, of course you didn't kill anybody, but I want you not to be angry at them. I didn't, I didn't commit adultery today. Well, of course you didn't commit adultery, but don't lust after someone. And so the Andy is just, I hear it in that same vein, Lee. Do you agree with that language? I do. G Jesus never discourages tithing. He, he doesn't say, oh, come on, my fellow Jews. Uh, you know, this whole business of tithing in the Old Testament, what a waste of time. Quit doing that. No, he doesn't do that. He says, look, if you want to tithe your material possessions, go for it, you know? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14 gives you plenty of good reasons to do that. But but we've got to go further. We've got to go deeper. As Diane is saying, we've got to dig into the spiritual side of Christian right. generosity with justice and love and mercy. Right. Yeah. It's not a checklist thing, right? It's not a, didn't, or anybody, not, didn't do this, gave 10%. And it's not an either or. Right. Right. Yeah. Good. I, yeah. I'm with you. So in, in Matthew 6, where he's talking to um, talking to us about not worrying, not having anxiety about having some uh, having, you know, your food or your clothes. I, you know, I, I put the birds feathers on their back, so I'll take care of you. And then the last verse in there was, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all this stuff will be added to you. So how does that figure in for someone who's reading this and thinking about tithing and thinking about giving? Um so if I, if I give it all away, then God's going to like send me some clothes. I mean, how does all of that kingdom stuff work in this whole realm of giving and in a world that says we got to keep taking? You want to start with that one, Matt, or you want me to? Uh, go ahead. I have a connection thought in Matthew 6. I'll bring up in a second. So go ahead. Okay. okay. Um, well, that Matthew 6 passage is really, really important. Glad you brought it up. Diane, um, it's so important to remember that what Jesus is teaching about in that second half of Matthew chapter six is not mainly about possessions themselves. It's about anxiety regarding our life situation and regarding our material possessions. And it's about priorities. I would say those are the two big concepts. Um, yes, he, he is talking about possessions, but, but it's anxiety and priorities in relationship to, to that. Okay. So when he says, seek first the kingdom, he's talking about priorities there. Um, you know, God makes provision for his people. All these things will be added to you. Uh, God make God has provided 
in, in the natural world around us, so many opportunities for food and shelter and clothing and, you know, a livelihood uh, that, that most of us have available to us. Uh, so it becomes then a matter of priority. Is that what we're going to focus on? What God has already promised to provide us? Or are we going to dig deeper? Are we going to push further uh, toward the spiritual side that you're talking about and, um, and seek God's kingdom? Not so much the necessities of life, but the, uh, the kingdom principles that need to rule our lives and guide our lives. So I, that's what I'd emphasize coming out of Matthew 6. Okay. Matt? My thought was in the beginning of Matthew 6 when he starts chapter 6 with the idea of, you know, the label that Bible commentators have put on it is giving to the needy. When in 6.1, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's this idea, again, of not having alternative motive to our giving, but connecting our heart, wanting to please God, which Lee mentioned earlier. It's really at any giving, whether it's to a church institution or to a neighbor in need, is not done for the glory of ourselves, but to hopefully point people back towards God. And I heard a great thing about the left hand knowing what your right hand is doing uh, that I appreciated is if you're right-handed, Think of all the things that you do right-handed. If you brush your teeth and you tie your shoes predominantly with your right hand, if you go to let your left hand um, take over in any of those things, you actually have to stop and think about how to do those things. Like, what am I actually doing when I tie my shoes with, in order for my right hand to know what your left hand is doing? And uh, the comment I heard talk about this said, the idea is that it's so second nature that you do not need to explain one hand to the other. There is no stop mental process like, should I do this now or should I not? And do this pros and cons. It's like, let your giving be uh, instinctual, yeah. reactionary. You see, yeah, that need, certainly clarifies you meet that. that. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a cool yeah. breakdown of a practical way of Jesus would have taught that. He also yeah. said, Jesus is pretty funny because when the uh, people give, they typically don't blow trumpets, right? That's <laughs> not always done, but. <laughs> Maybe when they gave their mint, they did. Maybe. <laughs> Here's my mint. How did this play out then, Lee, in the early church? So Jesus um, is resurrected, goes up to heaven, and then the, in the book of Acts, it tells us how the, the church was started. So how did all of this play out in the practical part of life for these new Christians? Yeah, they, uh, they responded to the teaching of Jesus about generosity uh, right from the start. And near the end of Acts chapter 2, um, we see that uh, they're sharing with one another on a pretty, pretty radical level. They, um, they shared their homes with one another. Uh, many of the early converts had come from other regions of the Roman Empire and were far from home, far from their um, source of resources. 
And so they took one another in, they shared their homes with them, they shared their food with them. It says they went from house to house sharing meals together. And then uh, we read a beautiful passage uh, near the end of chapter two about how uh, their attitude toward giving. They gave as they were able, they gave according to their ability, and they gave according to others' needs. And I think those are two beautiful concepts that we need to take very seriously. There was no standard amount. You know, you've got to give this much if you're going to be a good Christian. Some of us can give more than others. Mm -hmm. uh, so right from the start, the early church had this concept of giving according to your ability. That's for the donor. And they also recognized that we don't just give haphazardly to, to some fund um, we're giving to people who have genuine identifiable needs. Yeah. And so that's from the perspective of the donee. Uh, some people wonder, did early Christians, uh, upon their conversion and coming to faith in Christ, immediately turn over all of their financial resources to the church? And uh, although it, it makes sound in a, a time or two like they did that, it's clear that they did not. Mm -hmm. Because Barnabas is an example of somebody who had been a, uh, one of the earliest Christians. He'd given generously to the church all along. And then there, there arose a real special need for more resources. This would have been years into the life of the church. And it says he went up to Cyprus where his family owned some property, and he sold the property and he brought the proceeds and gave it to the church in Jerusalem. Well, clearly upon his conversion, he hadn't divested himself of all of his possessions, right? right. But uh, so what we're talking about here is an attitude toward our possessions. You remember earlier Matt's point about the earth is the Lord's and the, the fullness thereof, uh, uh, Psalm 24. Well, that attitude carries over into the life of the church of Jesus, uh, where po our possessions we think of as belonging to the Lord and at, at the disposal of the Lord's church, even though we may continue to hold them uh, until a new need arises. So those are a few examples of giving in the early church. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, um, what are your last thoughts on this, guys? Um, I think we've covered just about everything that we've had questions about recently. Um, I learned a lot. I took lots of notes. I hope it didn't look rude when I was looking down, like jotting. <laughs> no, I, I think one of the aspects is just always important to say is that our hearts are attached to money. That's nothing that we can deny when God says we can't serve two masters. I love that quote. You know, Jesus said, we can't serve God in money. Of all the things he could have said, why would he use the word money there? And and I love it that Jesus isn't saying it to be mean. He's saying it's an honest reality, and we know that inside. Sometimes that's our biggest barrier to surrendering our lives to God is our finances. And I also believe that the truth of Malachi, when he says, and watch that I don't open the storehouses for you. And, and you know, I've never seen anyone, and maybe it's happened, give 10% and the next week they're a billionaire. Um, I don't think Jesus is simply talking material possessions. But you talk to enough Christians where they've seen basically a supernatural experience that they can't explain away. And uh, through giving, through the act of giving, through charity, 
and rather it's to a church, if they don't feel comfortable giving you experience, find a way to give God's gifts somewhere just to watch what God does for the story and impact. I don't think it always comes true in a certain time period, but I believe you'll have opportunities where you'll see God provide and be involved in your lives through that step of faith. And again, that's not to manipulate people. It's not to challenge people. It's just open the door to watch how God does work in those situations. We've seen it in our lives. We've seen it in the life of our church. And it's pretty awesome to see God in those moments. Yeah, I think, um, Lee, you used the the word springboard of faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it did for us. We started tithing uh, because that's what we were taught at that particular church we were attending um, probably 30 years ago. We were only... Um, we, we look at ourselves as babies, baby Christians, and but we had been Christians for 10 years and probably gave $10 in that 10 years. Um, but we were taught that and we just thought, well, let's take the risk. And we were, you know, two little babies broke as anything. <laughs> and we just started trying really hard to give something and then to work up to 10%. And I've never believed that because I did it, I was going to get something for it. I just believed that it was what God wanted us to do. And my husband believed even stronger than I did. So when I wanted to buy some extra candy for the kids, he goes, no, tithe time. He's just like, tithe time, (laughs) no candy for my kids. Um, But it just became a part of our life. And um, I think because of it, our faith grew because things did start coming to pass and jobs did open up and the home did open up and all these things happened. And were they because we were tithing or giving? I don't know, but I know that I felt better about all of it because I knew I had already given what God expected from me. Yeah. Lee and I, we have a friend in Maryland. This I'll try to tell this story quickly that um, back in the early uh, 2000s. He was in real estate, was making, he, I mean, he was just doing exceptionally well. He was seven digits in real estate, his portfolio. Then 2008 happened. He lost everything. He had to come home and tell his then girlfriend that they lost their home. And they end up moving on her parents' uh, property and they restored a garage and turned it into their home. It was basically a garage slash barn that they, he went to Lowe's, took a $20,000 credit card out and returned that little garage into their home where they lived in. And he started attending a, a, a group that Lee's son was leading. And he didn't know what a Christian group was. He wasn't a Christian at the time. He just got invited to come hang out over his house. And, uh, you know, Lee's son was doing a little voodoo and getting him into a small group in church. <laughs> but he said they went over Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And they said they started talking about giving 10% away. And he's like, we're so broke, it can't hurt anyway. <laughs> that's how they tried it. Yeah. And fast forward, they just saw God showing up in these different ways. And one of the coolest stories he told was they had saved up about $8,000 and they were going to pay for their wedding. Initially, they were going to have a $60,000 wedding. And they just said, well, we've saved up. Let's have a bunch of our friends over, have a big party and just go somewhere small. And I'm like, well, we're going we're gonna to blow our savings for this and then we'll rebuild it. Well, he had someone show up. He was in real estate before at his property on a Sunday morning looking for him. And he assumed they were coming to give him a bill or take him to jail or something. He had no idea. He was just a fun guy. And so he's like, you tell them to show up at church because if they're going to take me out in handcuffs, I want them to do it right in the church lobby. <laughs> and so that guy shows up in church and hands and says, I'm not here to arrest you. I'm here to give you a check. I've been looking for you. He goes, how much? And it was $8,000. I mean, it was within $100 of what they had spun on their wedding. And he had saw that same thing happen about five years later where he got a check, uh, a bonus. 
and just trying to figure out what they should do prayerfully. And on Sunday morning in church, a missionary came in and said they were trying to build a well in this country, in this little village. And they wanted to do also do a side project for a little school addition. He asked for the amount and it was the amount he had gotten in the bonus check. And that's just, you can't explain that away. That is good. <laughs> but you also, you can't experience that without almost having that same attitude. And I think for some people, it's easier when you're at wit's end and you're broke and you're like, well, why not try it? What else do we have to lose? You were saying, you know, why not try it? We're, <laughs> we're scrapped. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost harder when you have an abundance where you already have it kind of chunked out for certain things, right? Yeah. 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 So Lee, what are your last thoughts on this before we close? Uh, I love uh, the the churches up in northern Greece that Paul wrote about. I I mentioned this right at the beginning of our of our chat. Uh, there in Second Corinthians chapter eight, um, Paul writes: uh, These churches in Macedonia gave during a time of persecution, mm -hmm. and they gave out of their extreme poverty. Now, if that doesn't remind you of the widow's might, huh? Mm -hmm. They gave out of their poverty um, and um, they didn't give under compulsion. They gave voluntarily. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it says, but first they gave themselves. And I think uh, whenever we talk about tithing or giving or giving to the needy or what you know anything related to money in the church we always need to think of it in terms of the way in which we yield our whole lives to the lordship of jesus yeah amen well yep. thank you very very much this is i mean i i'm just gonna listen to this myself i'll just block out my little cat my little face with a, a sticky note or something um but i'll listen to it again and again i know because it really has taught me a lot so i hope all of our listeners got as much out of it um please look in the notes section below the podcast um and you'll see a couple of books that we recommend and some other resources that you might want to tap into uh, to get some more information about this, maybe do some study on your own. Matt just mentioned the Dave Ramsey uh, course. There's a book that Dave Ramsey um, wrote about what he covers in that course, which is worth reading if you don't have access to the actual course to attend. Um, so thanks everybody for listening and we'll be back next week with another exciting topic. Thanks so much, bye. Hey, thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know Him better. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there's anything we can do for you, a question we can talk through with you, a prayer we can say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. Text ECC Info to 94000 or connect at our website, experiencecc.org. We are better together. Connect with us soon. See you next time on the Experience Christian Church Podcast. Take care.